Welcome back, my dear friends, to another beautiful, wonderful Around the Shabbos Table episode. We're getting a little more true to the name as our table turns round, and it's now Around the Shabbos Table. And if you haven't listened yet to the last episode with Laurie Friedman, um, that one was stopped only because we were almost about around the Shabbos table. We had recorded on Friday afternoon, and uh, we were getting close. And that line that you always say at the beginning, which is, the Shabbos wasn't desecrated, could have been not true. Exactly. <laughs> so to keep it true, we, uh, we, did not, we did not do that. So again, welcome back to Around the Shabbos table. And Shabbos was not desecrated in any way, shape, or form to uh, create this to create this show. And we are a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network. You can check it out at intentionaljew.com. And I have some really great episodes going up for Beyond the Book podcast. Um, I'm going to I'm going to interview Rabbi and Rebitson Roy Newberger. Um, you'll find out more about them. And they're just really, uh, really interesting, great people. So I'm going to interview them and a few other authors. Um, so for everything Jewish books, you can go and check out Beyond the Book on intentionaljew.com. So just like the Shabbos table is pretty random, and you know, depending on the parasha, depending on the yontif, depending upon the thing that's going on, so it, it inspires conversation. So I think we're living in a time now, after Pesach, Yom HaShoah, coming to... Um, Yom Atzmut, that there's just there's talk in the air. The issues issues are raised, um, issues of Yom HaShoah and our relationship to Yom HaShoah, issues to and and of the and whole, greater than just Yom HaShoah. I, I, we'll stop there for a second. Just just our relationship with the Holocaust, with the day of Yom HaShoah, our relationship with those who instituted the day of Yom HaShoah, and it's to with tragedy. Our, our relationship with tragedy in general, now, <clears throat> having a separate day for tragedy as opposed to the, the um, regular or, or uh, further back, you know, established days for tr- to, to rep- that represent tragedy. So Yom HaShoah brings up those concepts at our Shabbos table. Right. And what it does for us, you know, I think I discuss it every single year. But <coughs> I think what it does for me is, is that it helps me, um, it helps me maintain my, my belief system and also to fine-tune it. And to, to deal with questions and to deal with challenges on it, and then to be able to to clarify them, sometimes to tone things down, and to, sometimes to hone things and fine tune them. I would have a I would have our time if if one would um, just totally, as they say in uh, in Yiddish, as machavek, you know, and make the day as if a non day. I I challenge that a little bit because although the day doesn't these days. Whether you whether you um, celebrate or do not, there's something going on, um, on that day, and there's a there's a feeling, there's a thought, really around all all of uh, Jewish the Jewish world, and it needs to be dealt with. Either I don't care how you deal with it, but just to to pretend that it doesn't exist is uh, hurtful to me. Right. So I, I'm not sure that I'm on that extreme, but but I nevertheless feel that it it's it's a good thing to bring up these issues and to use this time because it's just, this is what's happening out there in the world and to use this time to, to, to reconnect yourself to, to, to Eretz Yisrael, to reconnect yourself to, to these issues. And again, it doesn't make a difference what you, how you reconnect yourself, where you land on the, on the spectrum. 
but that it has to be something that you deal with. Look, even if you you fell in the in the place of saying that you know we reject the concept of a state and you know we have no no relationship with the state and we separate ourselves from it, it's fine. In this, in in as much as I'm not I'm not accepting the the ideology, but I'm just saying it's it's good that you're grappling with something and thinking about something and taking. Uh, you know, recognizing a position on something, especially if it's a Torah position, then it has validity. It might not be the way that we think or live, but it nevertheless has validity. And, uh, you know, I once gave a drasha about, um, and, I, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of the of the details of it. I gave a drasha about, um, it was the year that um, Gore and Lieberman were, were waiting for the Psak Halacha, as to whether they were going to um, to win or not, they were recounting Florida. It was about eleven days, and it happened to be that in there was um, was um, uh, Rachel Imenu's yard site, and <clears throat> it was also the time where there was intifada, and there was no one at Kever Rachel that year. In America, there was a tremendous sense of, look at all the people that are going to be, the Jews that are going to be on Capitol Hill. We might even have a Jew in the White House. It was People were looking at shops. They were so excited about it. And it, it had a very profound effect on me that they were going through this, this in the beginnings of this intifada. There is nobody at Kever Rachel. Kever Rachel is, you know, remember Veshavu Banim Ligvulam. She's the promise. She's the hope. Whenever you go to Kevin Rachel, to Mama Rachel, you're standing there in, in a place where the hope rings rings out from her Kevin. That you don't have not many Kali, me Bechi, stop crying. Right? You don't have to you don't have to cry. Wipe away your tears because there's Shavuban in the Gvulam. Nobody was there at the yard side. And in America, everybody's sitting around going, they're the luckiest people in the world. Right, look what we have, right? Look at what we've got. Look what's happening. Look what's happening. It's like amazing to us. And I'm looking at it and I'm saying, Kodesh Baruch Hu saying to Rachel, then cry, Mama Rachel, because they're not coming home so fast. And it was it was like the whole thing was so devastating. I mean, I gave, and I gave this as a drasha. And somebody after the drasha came to me <clears throat> and wiped the floor with me. Wiped the floor with me said to me, how can you interpret it that way? How do you know that that's what God is saying? How do you know that this is what this means? And it really is an amazing thing that, yes, we're in Gullus, but look at what we're doing. And, he's, and the person smashed me to pieces. So I looked at the person and I said, you're right. I'm wrong. But what's your take on it? Because don't tell me that there's no significance to the fact that, that, that nobody's... Nobody, Tens of thousands of people on Mama Rachel's yard site are sitting in Kevin Rachel, and there isn't a person there. Don't tell me that that ain't significant while they're trying to figure out whether Yid's going to make it to the White House, which could be the worst thing that ever happened to the Jews in America. Right. Don't tell me that's not significant. I don't care how you interpret things. I don't care what you do with them. Do something with them. You can't ignore things. <clears throat> and that's very much right, the way. Like take a stand for against. It doesn't matter. I don't care. But take take a stand. Find find out where you are. That's with right. regards to that. Things are not just happening in this world. They're they're happening. There's a message. Do I know the right message? No. But I know a message that resonates with me. And you know a message that resonates with you. And 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 do it. But you've got to do something with things that are happening in your life.
when do things become big enough to <clears throat> to take a stand on them? Meaning, could you do this for every small thing? This this formula fits for, you know, every small thing, or is it only things that become a national holiday in Israel or become a become a bigger deal? No, everything is significant. Everything, everything is significant. Every everything in your life has to be understood the way that is that is there's a there's a message there. There's something to learn from it. And and are you learning always the right thing from it? Maybe not, but you're learning from it. Notice when a Kodesh Baruch Hu, we believe very strongly that everything is a message, and that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is sending us messages all the time. So people always say, whenever I talk about that, yeah, but how do I know what the message is? You know, on some level, it doesn't really matter. If a Kodesh Baruch Hu sees that you learned something from from what's happening to you, he's happy with that. Now, he might still need to send you another message because you didn't get the right one, but <clears throat> but you definitely got something. You know, sometimes when when you interpret something, <coughs> sorry, okay? you, yeah. want, you want a drink? I think I'm okay. <clears throat> sometimes when you interpret something, so you you miss the point completely, but you nevertheless got a point. So as long as you get a point, then then you didn't wait. The, the event wasn't wasted on you, right? Very, um, I'm going to take a turn on this, but but you know, just down that road, I think. Learning from your messages and from the things around you is one of the most important messages. <clears throat> one of the more, most important things that that we could uh, we could learn and always, you know, talking about that. We we spoke about that a few weeks ago. That just the things you can learn from from life, and um, to go down that here as well. Messages messages such an important thing to be able to take from things. And I find this is my personal opinion on it is that we uh, very often we limit. We want to learn a lesson, so we we limit it right. And we make it a very specific lesson, and we can only learn that thing and nothing else. So, it, this obviously, people do this with regards to these holidays that are coming up, you know, now and and these times in Israel. But we do this with why no one's in in Kever Rachel. No one's in Kever Rachel because because Hashem's punishing us punishing us for for not being able to not davening the right way. Well, I daven the right way, so it's irrelevant to me. Once you limit it, I remember right. that in in uh, in Harnof, when there was the Harnof massacre and and the Arabs went into um, a shul in Harnof, and they massacred, they killed people, and the message that people were taking was a message of tefillah and of davening, and of the reason why it happened here, and it became like very quickly pretty irrelevant to people because we daven or okay now we're machazik and davening so it's over but if the message is that something's wrong with us something's wrong with every person who heard this thing come to their ears there's something wrong it may be tefillah for this person it might be taras mishpacha for this person it might be it might be zrizos uh, for mitzvahs for this person and it might be you know not doing so much and doing less and it could be different for every single person um, then then it wouldn't have dissipated or will would dissipate so quickly and it would be relevant to every person in their way so like the 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 formula and the lesson of learning lessons and messages and taking your messages is just so important to me um and i hear that also to tie it back why you're saying that it's not really the day itself that speaks to you but it's the the message there's something happening here that i need to deal with so i hear that for me on these days it always brought up for me my my relationship with Eretz Yisrael and, and my feelings, for most years, my feelings of missing Eretz Yisrael, 
Um, now it brings up different things, but when you lived <coughs> when you lived in the U.S. in in La Jolla and you know Australia, respectively, but what were the things that your almost your like daily avoda or your your yearly avoda were missing from from not being here in Israel? So, if you ask me that question while I was living in America, I couldn't necessarily answer that question. Money. But that's the money shot right there. But, but but living here, I can I can answer that question. So I would change the question. I would say now that you're back and you're rerouting yourself here in Israel and it's becoming part of your daily routine, what are some of the things that maybe you, you should have missed and you should have been more um, could have been more on top of when you were there? So for me personally, yearning for the for the geula is much more poignant here and only because i can i can smell the gaula here better than than in the deep the, the deep pain of assimilated gallus in america i can and not that it's not assimilated here also can i just tell you something that i'm so super happy about yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous that i'm doing this but Look in your video. Look in your in your screen. Right. Can you see it from where you are? That you can see back into my phone. Right. And you can see that it's on. It's on point. You can see what it's what it's recording. Right. So like the whole time I'm worried <laughs> that I'm not getting us in in shot. Oh, that's funny. But when you're as soon as your thing turned off, then uh, then I was able to see to now see. through the reflection. Okay, that's funny. Uh, okay, yeah. A nerd. You'll edit this out. A, yeah. a nerd, but okay. Sorry. Um. So the the yearning for the gaula, you feel much more m- here, much more here. And I, I, I'll tell you, and it, it, it was a great question that that leads me into a place in a better way than I would have gotten there. Um, the on Cholamoid, I got to see him. I had I really wanted to see Birchas Kainim. I've I've seen it before. I've been a part of it before. They do this thing here in Eretz that on Cholamoid uh, on one day this year they did it two days because they wanted to, to spread the crowd because of corona. Spread the crowd and not corona. And not corona, right. So they wanted to, so they did Birchus Konim. Birchus Konim is really the way that it always used to be, was they had a chazan on, on you know, on, on, on loudspeaker. Yeah. And uh, it was a pretty simple affair, but but nevertheless, all the Konim would go up to the Kaisel. And a simple affair in its production, but in its not, production. not in the amount of people that would come no, for it. No, because right? you had Americans here, you had people that were, that were visiting Yontif, you, you had tens of thousands maybe maybe hundreds of thousands i mean it was just massive crowd would come for bichas konim the konim would be you know layers thick from the from the kaisel then you could see it because of all the white talisim because they you know they put the house over the head and they give the bracha and then the crowds of people receiving that bracha this year the setup was a little different because not everybody could get down to the kaisel they had it blocked off there were it was packed but then it was it was packed again and many Kanim couldn't get down to the front line. So where I was up on the on the plaza, by that, you know, that, that machitza in the back, you know, that wall or chain or whatever it is. So there were there was another row of Kohanim oh, interesting. there. And uh, they had Chazanim and they had a choir. And it was just like I can't describe it so gorgeous. And during Musaf of um, of uh, Yontif, 
where we say, the theme of Yontif is, is that we're missing the temple, we're missing the base of Mekdash. And here we're standing, you know, listening to the Chazar Sashats of Musaf in the closest we're going to get now to the base of Mekdash. And you're standing there, the Harenu, and we, and we say that the Chazan says the words that our eyes should see the rebuilding of the temple and all this. And and you're hearing this gorgeous sound, like the sound, like 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 you would imagine of what the Levium and what the singing in the Mikdash was like. And you get just a little, little bit of taste of it. And you're not just thinking and using your head to work it through to say, I, I want the, I want the Gula and I want the Besa Mikdash. You're standing there at the last remnant of the Besa Mikdash. And you're saying, that we should see the building of the temple. We should see, we should rejoice with its with its fixing and its and its completion. And and you're standing there and the emotion, I am I'm, I'm plotting, I'm crying, I can't stop myself. It was just so it was so compelling that you felt mamish, I want this gula. I'm not just davening for a thing that I'm told daven for the gula. I felt that gula. You know the, the word I would say about Rabbi Kiva. That Rabbi Akiva and his and his colleagues were standing on the top of the base of Mikdash. They were standing on French Hill. You know, they were standing up there by Mount Scopus, right? And, they, and they're looking down at the at the area of the temple, and they see a fox coming out of the Holy of Holies. And the colleagues all break down crying. Rabbi Akiva's laughing. So the colleagues said, Rabbi Akiva, what are you laughing about? He says, What are you crying about? So they said that a place where the Torah says, Zarakar of Yumas, that if a, if a foreigner, a stranger, a non-Kayun goes into that place, so then he should die, and you see a fox coming out of that place, well, we shouldn't cry? And because that's this exactly the reason that I'm laughing. Because it, there are two prophecies. One prophecy is, is that Zion is going to be plowed under like a field. But there's a second prophecy that says that old Yeshua in the future, the children and the elders are going to sit there and they're going to laugh and they're going to dance in the streets of Yerushalayim. Until I saw the first one come true, I had no idea the second one was going to come true. But now that I saw the first one come true, the second one I know is going to come true also. And that's why I'm laughing. And the t- students turn to Rabbi Kivan and they say to him, Akivan Nechamtanu, Akivan Nechamtanu, you've comforted us. Look, at the end of the day, the, it, Rabbi Kiva gave a good explanation, but at the end of the day, you're standing over a destroyed temple. You know, it was destroyed. There, there, there was, it, was, it, was, it was plowed under like a field. So, so how can you laugh at that? So I think that the real answer to it is, is that Rabbi Akiva, when they looked, his colleagues looked at it, they saw broken stones, broken buildings, destroyed place. Rabbi Akiva saw what happens when you destroy something, you then start to rebuild it. And to Rabbi Akiva, the reality was that it was rebuilding itself, that it was he was watching not a makom that was empty, but a makom that was now ready to be rebuilt. And he was able to see that rebuilding. That's why they turned to him and said, Akim Nicham Tanu, Nechama means you've given me a new perspective. perspective. And so you've given me the perspective. Don't look at destroyed places as destroyed places. Look at them as paving the way for rebuilding and start to feel that rebuilding. So when I stand by the Kaisal and I see things like that, I don't see the last remnant of the temple. I see the first steps towards the building of the Beis HaMikdash. I smell the base of Mikdash and feel like, wow, just it's just going to be a matter of time until this whole event is going to be magnified yeah, 
And, it, and, and amazingly, and it's going to take place on that side, not on this side. I see that very much when I go to the, the Tayelet in, um, in Tapiot, and, and I see the Has Promenade, and I stand there and I look over the Mokam Mikdash, and there's that, that yellow yarmulke dancing in front of me. And what I see is I see the base of there, and I see that pillar of smoke that we talk about in the Mishnah. That there was a pillar of smoke that went up to the to the heavens every day from the from the the Mizbech. I see that. I couldn't. I could talk about it, and I could feel it in America. But when I stand here in Yushalayim, I feel it in a very different way. That's that's uh, that's amazing. I, I had a I have a similar process. My and uh, um, with regards to the Kosa, um, my rabbi always used to say how silly we look that we go to the Kosa, we turn our backs towards it, and and we come and take pictures, smiling. What are you, you're smiling at the, the 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 saddest grave we have. This really, in essence, the saddest place because it's it's this it's a place of rihuk. It's a place of how far we are from God, because he the the base of Mikdash is destroyed there and it's not being rebuilt. And there's a there's a there's a you know perspective to that. That 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 makes sense. So I always used to go for a while, I would go and if we were to take pictures, we would take with our, you know, sort of side facing the Kosal and our backs towards the um towards the entrance or towards towards like Aish on that side or something like that, just to get to sort of uh let that sit in. And then I would go to the Kosal and it would I would it would be a sad experience for me. But if this is, and then, and then the process was, if this is how close I feel like when I'm sad and I'm sad because this is the, this is such a holy place and we're so far, then just imagine what's going to happen when the base of Mikdash comes. And that was the, I, I, it was a similar process to the, you know, Akiva Nicham the new perspective is from realizing how sad it is here, then you can come to how much now your Tzipisoli Yeshua changes because now you really want to get rid of that and you want to bring back the Shekhinah and you want to bring back um, the divine presence to this place. So that's, that's a, an interesting, a similar process. It's interesting though, that you, that you say that you can feel it more here than in, than in America, because a lot of the talk of the people in America is we want the Gula so we can get out. We can be out of Gullus, right? Like this morning we were sitting down at a bar, at a bar mitzvah and the guy said, um, we were talking about in, in Hebrew, he was talking about how, uh, you know, uh, he has a grandpa and a zaidi or something, and he said, "Those are the remnants of of Gullus. You know, we'll be back to Israel, and we'll call him Saba and Safta." And and like that, that's sort of the feeling. Like, get out of America, get out of Chutzlar, it's come back to Eretz Yisrael, and uh, and that's the that's the end of the that's that'll end the Geula, or the, you know, getting out the end. The the, what sorry, what the Gullus does, the Geula does, it takes us out of America. Where does it bring us, Eretz Yisrael? But it takes us out. And it's interesting that you're saying that you didn't necessarily feel that once you're here. So now it's, it's enriching what I'm doing here and enriching Eretz Yisrael. But did he, did I didn't need necessarily the Geula Shlema to get me out of anywhere, right? What I felt in America always was the Rihuk, was the distance to God, and and the right. I want to I want to I'm sad that I'm not sad almost. Right? I'm sad that I feel so distant, right? And that I, that I feel that I, that I feel this this iron curtain between me and God. And here, I feel that also, but I, I'm able to see it coming down in front of me. I'm able to feel that it's, that it's on its way down 
You know, when I see, I remember a few things that made a big impression on me. Um, one of them was after the Tainus. I happened to have seen it on Shavasa Batamas. It was here many years ago. Well, I was living in Ohio, but I, was, I happened to have been here for Shavasa Batamas. And at the end, two amazing things happened. One was that I saw them giving out um, little pekalach of... of was I uh, with you? Or was it? I don't think so. No? No, no, this is before you were learning here. But um, little pekalach, and, and with a little drink and a little thing. They did it Shavu morning also. And when I see stuff like that, it, it just it just touches me so deeply. Yidin caring for Yidin. When I was in Europe and on um, on the yards of the Melech of Lezhensk, and they had tents set up. They were serving. They even had a board that showed how many how many tens of thousands of meals they served in one night in Lezhensk. How many pounds of potatoes they brought from Eretz How many like how much all this stuff that they brought. And, and what they served, it was unbelievable. Not a penny. You didn't have to pay a penny. There was a place you wanted to put in money. You put in money. But there was no charge. It wasn't even a minimal charge. Nothing. There were Yidin that said, Yidin need to come to Daven here. They need to be taken care of. Let's take care of them. When I see that, I see the, I see the crumbling of the Iron Curtain. I see, the, I see the, the Geula. I smell the Geula when I see stuff like that. So one year, Shavasa Batamas, <clears throat> it was very emotional. And so I was in my head. And as I walked away from the Kaisal, after Mayrev, I think it was, either after Mincha or after Mayrev, I, I turned around and I bumped into an old man. And I looked at the guy and I said, I'm so sorry. And the guy said to me, don't worry. He said, but, but stop worrying so much. He said this in, in, in Yiddish to me. He said, stop worrying so much. The ghoul is on its way. And it just it just touched me so deeply. It's like here's a yid, and, and who knows what this guy's been through, you know? And the the guy and the guy looks at me and he says, "You have to worry, but don't go so crazy. The ghoul is on its way. You can smell it." And that that really taught me how to. When I came to Eretz I looked for those kinds of things, you know, random acts of kindness, people reaching out to each other, yidin being. And even with the secular and even with all of the stuff, but Yidin being Yidin and behaving like Yidin is really, you know, that that's when you know that the ghoul is coming. I just read this thing about Shalva, you know, this organization here, Shalva, and how it started. It's just astounding. You, what is it? What's the organization? It's a, it, 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 with ki- kids with uh, disabilities. And, uh, and it started from parents that had kids with disabilities and they couldn't get the services that they wanted. And it's a very dramatic story, and it's much more detailed than that. But it's Jews that turned around and said, we're doing this for other Jews. And I think that that's, that's really an amazing thing. So I'll tell you another, an, another moment that I, that I had. You know, about 20-something years ago, we came on a three-month sabbatical. We came right before Shavuos, and we stayed until Rosh Chodesh El Berach. And uh, Shavuos, we went to Shavuos Yeshiva, and uh, we stayed here, and we, st- we stayed in, you know, in Gula, and uh, we stayed in like a random apartment, ran- you know, random, yeah. Were you with around us around the block? Yeah, yeah, I remember that trip well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we learned all night. You and I learned. I think you and I learned. We were learning Mishnayos. 
I up. definitely remember the night. Yeah. I definitely remember the boys on the steps uh, smoking. Yeah, I yeah. definitely remember. That's right. And it wasn't just camels. The um, we we so we we went. I don't think we went to. Uh, so we went to the castle. Um, Rina was in a carriage. She was in a, a thing. We brought we brought her. And when we walked out, we were in Gula. So we walked out of our street on the brand. Right, where Brisk was across the street. So you walked out. There was like 10, 15 people starting to walk towards the coast. And then when you walked onto the, the main street in Gula, right, so then there was there, there was now, you know, you were walking with a group of 100, 150 people. people. And then as you were walking down the street, that 150 became 300 people. And then as you walked out of out of Meir Sharim and the, the, towards the towards the Chaimis, so now you're there with thousands of people. And then when you walk through Shah Yafo, you're there with tens of thousands of people walking through together. And at some point, we weren't really wheeling Rina. It was it was more like it was floating. And then you get to the Kaisal, and it's dark. So there's lights, of course, but you can't really see what's going on. And you know that you could feel it. Like, you know, when they're, they're in the dark, when there are worms in front of you, like you could sort of see a, a, some like shadow of things moving. So you like, you could see that there are people, there's a lot of people and they're mignonim everywhere. And then you start to daven and you get, you get really, really daven, right? Cause it's like a, you know, daven, a bus station. It gets hot. And, yes. and it's, it's just, it's just wild there. And then you hit this moment of Neitzachama when the sun rises and every minion, there's got to be, there's got to be a thousand minion. Every minion hits Shmona Esrei at exactly the same moment. And there is total silence, which itself is a nace, right? <laughs> that you have, you know, 80,000 Jews standing in a place and nobody has anything to say. Holy cow. <laughs> so, but they're all, everybody's dominating. The exact same thing at the exact, at the exact same, same moment. moment. And all you hear is a couple of birds chirping. You feel like you're standing at the foot of Har Sinai. You feel like you're standing in the Besam Mikdash Mamish, in the courtyard in the Azar of the Besam Mikdash. And it is the most incredible moment. When you finish Monasri, you look out and you see how many people are there. And you say, I'm part of Klau Yisrael. It's not just me. And it's not just my couple of chaverim, my people, my community. But we are part of the Jewish people. And that's another thing that I relate to. Here, better, the only other place that I've ever experienced this was at the Siam Hashas. was in, uh, in New Jersey, of all places. But, but in the, in the Siam Hashas, when you're standing with 90,000 people and you say, Amen, Yehishmei, Rabba, and you feel like you're standing by Hasinai, and, and the world has just changed. But, but this, is, this is something that's so profound to me to, to feel this here that I could only imagine in America, but that I can actually experience here. Fascinating. Yeah, I think that was the last time I was ever at the Kosal on Shavuos, was then. Oh. Because even when I was learning here, the, the yeshiva, I was in prioritized, you know, learning, learning the whole night and learning till till Nate. So we didn't go. Um, so that was the that was the last time. So my memories is exactly the way you're describing because that was the last time um, I was there as well. So for you, it's um, just to recap. It would be the feeling of Gula, feeling the the, the Gula coming and on its way, and being part of the Klal of Klal Yisrael, part of this bigger nation and connecting us all here. 
Um, that's fascinating. It's, it's why, for me, secular Jews here are more painful to me than they are in America. They're doing exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. It's exactly, exactly the same Chol Shabbos, exactly the same non-observance. But, but here, because the Kedusha is so much greater and, the, and, and the, the, the living this way is so much more real, when we're choosing not to live this way, it's therefore that much more painful. It's, it's very funny. I always tell this, but for me, it's um, when we were here. So we obviously, maybe all the times we visited, so we used to go to, to Tante Diane and Uncle Shui, the lifts in, in Harnov, and we take a shower. We would go, you know, in their ba- use their bathroom, and there is blue, very like very blue bathroom. And I, um, the smell of the, um, of the water in Israel. If you're not used to it, it's like a little bit it has a little sulfur smell, and it's just it, it's ingrained in me. Every time I smell, um, water with a little bit of of sulfur like that, I'm transported immediately back to that bathroom. <laughs> But but then back to Eretz Yisrael in general, and usually when we come right back um, from if we ever visit America, we come back, and uh, I'm taking a shower and I smell it, I'm transported back, and then I it gives me this feeling of like, yeah, th- this is where I, this is where I am, this is where I should be, and that's uh, it's just a scent and something else that attaches me um, to to Israel. So, right, it's amazing, and for, and for me, this period of sometimes time, like the shook. I'm sorry, but sometimes like the shook. You know, you walk through the shook again. You get these smells, and right. you go back to the same nut guy that you were in, and it just brings back this feeling of like home. There's a certain um, groundedness right. to it. Yeah, no, it's a real, it's a real thing, and and that's what that's what this period of time does for me. It gives me um, the impetus to to reassess and to to re to 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 re to revive my connection and to you know, sort of pinch myself and, and now recognize that, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm not going home tomorrow. You know, for the past couple of years, we've been in Eretz this period of time. We went to Europe, and, right. then, and then we came to Eretz And then right after these days, you know, I'd spend the Shabbos and then, you know, and then go back to America. And I'm spending a Shabbos, and I'm spending another Shabbos, and I'm not going back to America. And it's, uh, you know, it just reminds me to be appreciative. I don't need to get into the politics. I don't need to discuss it and won't discuss it now. It's got nothing to do with the politics of it or nothing to do with, you know, with taking any kind of stance. It's just got to do with, it, with it, within a very personal sense, looking at it saying, that ashray, that I have this chilek, I have this, this generation and this door and, and this and time that we have the opportunity to live right. here and that we have the opportunity to live in nice houses and nice buildings. Right. And that's a hakar satov to Rebunashon for that. Right. And that I have the opportunity to be a part of that. That I have the zuchus to be a part of this. And and not just to watch it from afar now, which which I have been doing for all these years, and but but to actually be here. You know, the, another good question to ask me. <laughs> Would be how did I keep my love for Eretz Yisrael alive? All those years, visiting was very important. Right, I was gonna, uh, yeah, I was gonna say that even when we lived there, I think it, you were you were you were on a uh, you know Aliyah Larego. You came out maybe not Larego, but at least once a year. At least once a year. There were years where I came. I had the opportunity to come many more times, short trips, but uh, but many more times. And uh, you know, it's, it's interesting when you ask that. My my mother in law, Adel's mother, as well loves Eretz Yisrael and will do anything um, to be here. Is she here every year? Is she here all the time? No. 
But I think there's a, the, like when you ask how does she keep that love, like there's a, um, a focus and that she also talks about it. And she, I know one of the things she does is she will not say anything negative about Eric's show. And she's mocked about it. So if you start complaining about, you know, the cab driver's ripping you off, she's like, be careful. And in a sense, it, it, it really, it, it, it brings you to that place of like, you want to be there and there's still a love for the land. And it's not just a place that is there that's fun to go for a seminary year or for a visit or for a yantif. It's a place where we're rooted, we're grounded. So that, that's that one Eitzah that I know from, from our life that people in Hul can keep their love uh, alive. But yeah, how did, how did you do it? So visiting is obviously... Visiting uh, is one. But, but how, do you, how do you keep the... Visiting has its also, it's... Visiting has its two, you know, it's two issues. You don't feel like you're part, you don't feel like you live in an aquarium because you visit the aquarium. If anything, you feel like, good, the fish should be in there and I'm here. <laughs> right. So it has its duality there because sometimes you can visit and it's not so comfortable, it's not so good. Or you visit in a certain time in the Yantif and the thing that you don't feel so comfortable there. You don't feel like you're part of the culture here in Israel. And um, and that's... So the NAF community for me was that I, I never stayed in a hotel. Okay. In the beginning, only only oh, was idealistic. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Right. <laughs> Cheap Jew. <laughs> I, I never stayed. I never stayed in a hotel. We always stayed at relatives or kids. It was my, my, when my kids were here, so we stayed with kids. And that you 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 know you had to go shopping, you had to go to Makolet, you walked around, you, you felt like you diving in the shoes of the, of the regular people, not of the not, not of the tourists. Right. So so you got it. You got a taste. Plus, we lived here for a while. So we had we we had something to go back to. We had a t- we had a taste and a smell, like you say, to go back to things that brought us back to where we were. I'd go to the neighborhood where the yeshiva was, and I'd just be transported back. I see any of my old chaverim, and it would just be transported back to to those times. You know, when you have a relative that you separated from, um, or somebody passes in your life, you tend to take a picture and to put it on your desk, put it on a mantle. Um, and to and to to climb back to them through that picture. Looking at pictures is something very very important to keep connections to things that you're not uh, you know, you're, you're you're not um, strongly connected to in a physical sense. Or they're not in front of you, right? So I uh, on my computer always was always connected. I always had pictures of it. So, but I also always was connected. Koto cam. Koto cam. And there was one camera, it wasn't Aisha Torres, but there was one camera, doesn't matter whose, but that um, was never shut off in time for Kabbalah Shabbos. Nice. <laughs> so you're not complaining. And I'm not complaining. And there were many Shabbosos that I was able to, you couldn't hear perfectly or anything, but you could see, you could see dancing. You could see people standing around. You see people coming big day Shabbos. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. And and that that really lit me up, and as that kept me that kept me very connected. Okay, so that's some of our um, some of our ideas and experiences and tastes and smells and just uh, to bring us back to Israel and ultimately to say Hodul Hashem that we have this opportunity of this of this place and we can come back to what many before us were not Zoha to. So if if there are topics though, um, I'm going to put this out there that on on the comment section in YouTube, I want you to. Put topics, if there are topics around, you know, the, the greater topic of Eretz Yisrael or Israel that you want us to discuss, obviously we'll decide what we're going to put in, but we would love topics from you, from from those who are listening to us, 
um, on podcasts or if you're listening to us on YouTube, just put it in the comments and tell us, that, you know, discuss this because we, we want to do a little bit more on this and get more and maybe into more of a discussion about what Eretz Yisrael is to us and, and the role it plays in our lives in terms of mitzvot and in terms of um, both in Jewish thought and in Jewish action in ritual. So we want it, We definitely want to get more into this and we want to know from you what you find interesting and what you want to know about. So I, I want to, from, from my part, want to end this um, by, by le- leveling a challenge. And it's a sort of a three-tiered challenge to our friends in America. I want to ask the question, and, and which will become a challenge, but I want to ask the question, what do you do to keep Eretz Yisrael alive in your life and a real part of your life? Um, and for some, it's, you know, write a check every year to the JNF. For others, it's, um, you know, it's read books about Israel. It's to learn the, the history of Israel. Profess your love for Israel. But, but what do you do? And then the second part of the question is, is that enough? You have to decide that, not me. But is that enough to keep that love alive in your heart and to keep it alive for your children? I then take that question and I turn to my friends in Yushalayim. And I say to my friends in Yushalayim, what do you do in Yushalayim to ensure that you don't take for granted the great gift that you have, the great schus that you have to live in Eretz soul, and that to constantly, to, to constantly re connect and rejuvenate your connection to its soul. And then my third question is to my friends outside of Yerushalayim, whether it be Ramat Beit Shemesh or whether it be in, in Modian or whether it be up north, wherever you are that's not, that, that's not in Yerushalayim, what do you do to make sure that you're not just living in another country and that you're not, you don't become, um, you don't take it for granted the fact that you're living in Artsenu Hakidosha, you're living in our holy land, and you're living in a, in a place, you know, where where it's you know ground zero for kedusha, which you can't always feel like you would necessarily in Yushalayim. What do you do to keep that love of Eretz Yisrael, to keep that love alive? And I and I, I think that you know that there's there's something that something important that comes out of this discussion. Not just it was cool to listen to you know to Aaron and the and and the father, you know, just to schmooze a, a good topic, which is really I mean can I know you know it's fun and, and it's interesting to listen to, but it's got to be a little more than that. And yeah, and we want we're challenging you. That's the uh, that's the idea. It's it's nice. It's easy to listen to, but there should be we want to challenge you. Right. And send your answers to uh, intentionaljew at gmail it would really, it would just, we, well, we'll read them out if, if it's, you know, anonymously, but I think that it's an important thing to, uh, to bring to the forefront here. It's important for us to hear it. Yeah. And it's important for every one of us, every one of you, to, to actually use this opportunity to be able to chazer over, to be able to review this and to maybe get a different perspective. You know, we were saying before, just before we end, but we were saying before that, um, you know, it's important to keep reviewing it and thinking it, but it's also, it's important when you when we tell over, you know, our messages and what we think we're learning from things, to tell it over to somebody. Because cool. when you tell it over to somebody, you know, people chaverim, when you tell it over to somebody, they say, that's interesting, I, I think of it this way, and then you realize, wait, I was like on the shallow surface. Let me incorporate, I, I like their ideas, let me think that into my ideas. And that that's how we become deeper people by listening to how other people process things, and we realize, you know, I'm proud of myself the way I processed it, 
but I could I could push myself deeper to understand things because listen to the way they understood it. Very good. So of mode, pass the challenge. Pass the challenge.